have offered mixed assessments of their learning experiences during the pandemic year. Many of them have complained about the lack of interaction with peers and professors in virtual environments, but appreciated the flexibility they gained in when and how they learned. Overall, they credited their institutions with doing a pretty good job, but it's fair to say they probably graded on a curve. With many colleges planning a significant, if not full, return to their physical campuses this fall, what will students be expecting from their institutions and their professors when it comes to learning? Have the last 15 months reinforced their appreciation for learning in person, or will they expect to have the option to attend class remotely when it suits them? Will professors who changed their teaching practices when they were forced to teach virtually embrace some of the new approaches or tools they adopted during the pandemic, or will they revert to their old ways of doing things? And will colleges recognize that the additional training and support they gave professors really worked and keep providing it, or will they pull back because the crisis has seemed to pass? I'm Doug Letterman, editor and co-founder of Inside Higher Ed. And these are some of the questions we'll explore in this week's episode of The Key. We're joined by three experts on student learning and online education. Justin Lauder is Associate Vice Provost for E-Learning and Academic Partnerships at Texas Tech University. Michelle Miller is Professor of Psychological Sciences and President's Distinguished Teaching Fellow at Northern Arizona University. And Alexandra Salas is Dean for Innovation, Teaching, Digital Learning Excellence, and Educational Support Services at Delaware County Community College in Pennsylvania. Before we begin, here's a brief word from Blackboard, the sponsor of this week's episode of The Key. This episode is sponsored by Blackboard. Each learner at your institution is following their own unique path. Your EdTech partner should make it easier for your institution to thrive and for learners to succeed. From enrollment to progression, retention, and graduation, only Blackboard offers an ecosystem approach that supports learners across their journey, inside and outside the classroom. Learn more at blackboard.com. Now on to today's conversation. Michelle, Alex, and Justin, welcome to The Key, and thanks for being here. The main reason we're talking today is to try to understand what students are likely to expect out of their learning experiences this fall, but it'd probably be useful to first get a sense of where we've been. From your various perspectives, what are the most important things that the last year plus revealed to you about the state of post-secondary teaching and learning, wherever and however it occurred? Michelle? Right. Well, out of all of the things that um, were expected and unexpected that, that came through, to me, one big one is that I was, um, I mean, in, in awe of how quickly and how fluently faculty picked up the kind of just the physical technology itself, including people who had been pretty low-tech devotees up to that point and say, oh, I'd rather hand out paper rather than being in a learning management system, uh, rather have show hands instead of using a quizzing system. They they jumped in and they did what they needed. And I think this really reinforces what so many experts in educational technology have said for years. And just ask any skilled instructional designer and they'll say, it's not about choosing the right app or widget or, or buying the right thing always. It's about the pedagogy. And I think that it also, the flip side of that is it really showed that 
people needed these pedagogical strategies. They needed a frame and a conceptual frame and something that was very purpose driven. Um, and I think that that's where you saw some faculty be more successful in something like a, a brand new hybrid teaching environment or a fully online environment if they hadn't done it before. That was oftentimes, in, in my mind, the difference is the, the people who had that conceptual, okay, here's what I want to accomplish, and I'm really going to get feedback from students as I go along and say, are we getting towards those goals that I laid out, um, and those who are less engaged. I think that those uh, that latter group were, was the group that oftentimes struggled. And obviously, the goal, as the year went on and, and into, into uh, this past spring, was making sure trying to bring the people who were lagging up to speed. And I think maybe we can come back to the question of how successfully uh, you and your colleagues and, and the sort of professoriate and the, the people who work with the, with the instructors were able to move the needle as, as the year went on. Uh, Justin, you want to jump in next? Sure. I um, I agree that, you know, we, we saw faculty kind of jump in um, and they knew they had to get um, education or the job of, of providing an education done, however they had to. Um, but I also um, was was struck by the resilience of our students, um, that they kind of went with the faculty and they knew that they were kind of learning as, as they went in the spring, many of them, um, and they were receptive to new ideas and, and new ways of, of instruction. Um, I'm reminded of of a of a meme that I saw at the beginning of of the pandemic, and it talked about a student saying, "You know, you're telling me that my faculty member who can't turn off YouTube autoplay um, is is going to now teach me on Zoom." And and that's how we started. But by the end of it, um, or, or as faculty got more and more comfortable, students were open to ideas. Um, they um, found new ways to build that community in their classes. You know, when they were missing out on face-to-face on -face instruction or that community in the classroom, they found ways to do it either through group chats or group me or things like that. Uh, and so I think another thing that I saw is, is just that resilient nature of our students, that this was difficult for faculty who had never taught online, but it was also difficult for the students who never had gone to um, school online before, because many students, you know, they may take a hybrid class or one or two online, but they don't take their full loads um, via distance. And so I think their resilience was another thing that really um, struck me. And I think that's part of the reason it was successful is that students did go with, you know, this changing time and, and kind of worked with faculty as, as they worked um, online. Alex? Sure. I have to echo uh, what uh, Michelle and Justin have, have said. And I, I think one of the, um, the, the evidence that I saw, it was the connection between faculty and students and the agility that they all exhibited, you know, during this time and how we all learn faculty, staff and administration, how to see more possibilities you know, how to, the, the last year cultivated that need, the necessity, uh, the, the need to be creative and agile for our students in terms of different ways to use a learning management system, different tools for communication. Uh, so we just didn't look at a widget for widget's sake. It's like, what, how purposeful can we be with this, what we have at, at you know, in our tool, in our toolbox. So it was really impressive. From spring 2020, when you and your faculty colleagues pivoted on a dime 
through to this past spring, we knew that student expectations were probably going to rise and that it was going to be incumbent on institutions and instructors to continually improve to meet the moment. How successful do you think we were? Alex? There, there were some faculty who were already using the technology, um, and I would call them the unsung heroes, right? And uh, and the college was well-equipped with all the resources needed to be able to pivot at any time. But this necessity uh, put everyone on this path that now um, tools that were either forgotten or, you know, no one was using before, you know, it, it just brought folks uh, more actively using the resources that the college provided. And, and, and understanding what resources we had, taking inventory, asking questions, uh, taking advantage of, you know, the Center for Teaching and Excellence, uh, our digital learning team, um, you know, all the resources were always here and present, but now the fact that 100% we had to go online, uh, we felt we felt compelled and everyone felt compelled to do the best that we could to serve the students. And do you think, do you think it was widely embraced? Do you think uh, as a general rule, it happened to the extent we needed it to? I believe that it happened organically, but there was always that hope that things would go back to normal, whatever normal is. And, you know, now we're heading back in that direction. And I see I see a variety of things. And one is that there are folks who are ready. You know, they were ready six months ago to come back. Some had already come back. There were certain courses where were already taught on campus uh, with social distancing precautions in play. But then there are others that still feel uneasy and uh, aren't ready. Um, but it did open the door for opportunity to try different things. And we see other possibilities. Uh, high flex, the fact that online is not going to go away, you know, because the students are dictating what they want, you know, and they want a little bit of everything. They want what's convenient. They want a, a system that's fluid. And I think that's one of the important things that we've learned in this last year about listening to our audience and our audience are the students and they have a variety of needs. And, uh, and, and this is one way that technology can serve us to be able to serve them. So we'll come back uh, to in a minute to the student expectations piece. I want to focus for just a second more on, on the faculty side of things. Justin, do you sense that the, the faculty at Texas Tech and what you saw, you know, what you were able to perceive nationally, did, did the, the, the professoriate collectively uh, embrace this challenge where and and do you think um, you think that, that it met the challenge of the moment um, so I think you know to to be honest you know in the spring probably not uh, because we we were you know just trying to, to figure things out um, and uh, one thing my campus did which a lot of campuses did, in the spring or spring of 2020, we we allowed students to to do take the classes credit no credit. So if if they didn't have the the best um, experience or, or the faculty had had issues, you know they were able to to do it that way. So it it didn't impact GPAs. But I think as the spring went forward, and then we realized, um, kind of as, as Alex said that you know we realized this was going to go a long longer than than we thought originally, you know, then faculty, I think, really started embracing what was there. You know, they went from, okay, let me lecture for three hours on Zoom every week to let me do 
a couple of Zoom, you know, synchronous sessions, but let me really use the tools that are in the, the LMS to allow for some asynchronous learning. Because, you know, as, as this moved on further and further, we knew, you know, students were out of work, they were trying to get jobs. And so faculty were, were having to kind of rethink of, of some of the ways they were doing the instruction. So I think they, you know, worked with the teaching and learning centers, they, they worked, with, uh, worked with instructional designers and Blackboard support um, to utilize the, the tools and, and the things that, that we have. You know, I've, I've always believed and tell faculty, you know, don't let the tool dictate how you how you do an instruction. You come up with your instruction and then let us find the tools. And exactly to Alex's point, they were using things that we had had. Um, and they were just using them in, in new or, or better ways um, for their classes. Um, and so I think as, as we went on into the summer and then the fall of, of 2020, um, they, you know, faculty that were re uh, resistant to online beforehand were becoming some of the experts um, on campus and they're becoming the go-to people. And so I think they, as a group, as a collective, did did make that move um, successfully, you know, after that first couple of months of a, of a difficult pivot. Michelle? Well, wow, what a, what a complex question to think through. I mean, like, like Justin, um, I, my experience um, was really that, that, yeah, most of that growth and that innovation happened pretty early on in that initial ramp up. Um, and what happened after that was sometimes a matter of, of fine tuning more than anything else and people kind of settling on an approach sometimes uh, and, and going going with that. Uh, and so wherever you sort of landed at the beginning as far as your approach is, is where you may have ended up. And although we also, I, I would echo too that faculty to faculty support in our case was, uh, was absolutely critical with people really jumping into things like a Slack channel and saying, okay, what are you doing to address this? So I think some of the fine tuning as much as anything was simplification. It was it was more a taking away than adding to after that sort of initial pivot. Uh, sometimes it was a function of, of practice and being able to, to kind of figure out more on the fly what worked and what didn't. Uh, sometimes the simplification was very student focused, which is a great thing. We say, OK, we got this feedback and I found, OK, this was too much or this was really what paid off. So let's do that. Sometimes it was a technology issue. I mean, I found, too, that sometimes the technology would just fail and you would end up not pursuing or keeping a tool or an approach just because it was unwieldy or it crashed half the time. And then you really are dead in the water if you're doing like a hybrid class where most of the students are out there um, in space, you can't, you can't manage that. So I think that that was an issue. I also noticed that, a, that growth and change tended to really concentrate in some of these kind of these flashpoints are hot button issues. And I think we we probably could all recognize what those are. Um, assessment and testing was a big one. So what am I gonna do about the big exam that's worth X amount of the grade? And a lot of good debate going on about that. So I think that was one where people maybe backed up and thought through because they they realized, wow, this is a huge issue. And, and another, uh, similarly, the issue of cameras. Um, people initially coming in and saying, well, all the cameras will be on and I'm gonna make sure everybody's looking straight at me at all times, and then realizing the downsides to that. So I think in these select areas, we, we saw people really grappling and, um, but in, in others, yeah, we picked, a, we picked something and more or less went with it. 
This episode is sponsored by Blackboard. Underpinning Blackboard's technology is the market's only true edtech platform, offering more impactful and easy-to-use solutions, including accessibility tools, a virtual classroom, communication tools, and the LMS. The Blackboard EdTech platform powers personalized experiences fueled by data so that every individual is supported by the technology, services, and care they need to thrive and succeed. Learn more at blackboard.com. A reminder that today's guests are Michelle Miller of Northern Arizona University, Justin Lauder of Texas Tech University, and Alexandra Salas of Delaware County Community College. What is your sense of where most of the students you your institution serve landed in terms of um, what they want going forward? I, I, everybody has talked about flexibility, and I think that's going to be uh, one key area. But do you think students are, in general, and again, recognizing that there are limits on how much we want to generalize, but do you think students are going to be more comfortable with with digital elements of their educations going forward? Uh, Michelle? Well, this, this is a, a tough one as well. And I do think, yeah, students, if, if we say, well, you have to be here in person and know there's no way to come in remotely if you need to do a meeting or a class, I mean, Students will quite reasonably say, well, why, why not? That is, that is one prediction. But I think that this is, this is something else that, that's really been on my mind as I've watched this unfold is it is not going to be parallel to some of the other things we've seen going on with other kinds of remote options. I mean, I, I almost think about how I now love to get my groceries <laughs> ordered online and drive. I love this. This is wonderful. I'll never go back to the old way. But this is not what we're talking about in, in higher education. Higher learning is not like this. It is not like ordering a box of Cheerios from the grocery store. And it never was. And it's not going to be. So I think that we're probably going to see different subgroups of students asking for different things. Um, we may see more of a backlash than anything else or people being more interested in face-to-face -face or a perception that face-to-face -face is is higher quality. So I think those are some of some of the complexities that as leaders in particular need to be thinking about right now. Justin, uh, do you think we are uh, likely to see more demand for uh, virtual uh, possibilities at least or options? Or do you expect uh, we're going to see, we're obviously seeing, I think, a lot of rhetoric around people wanting to be back. But uh, do you think the the interest in uh, in in virtual options it can be can is likely to be under undone or reversed? Yeah, I think um, as as uh, Michelle was saying, we're I think we're going to see a lot of subgroups of students. We we all pre pandemic we had the students that only wanted to go to school online and the students that only wanted to go to school face to face. Um, but we also saw the students that didn't care, you know, they were just, you know, they do whatever they need to to get their degree. Um, and you had the students that really wanted all of those co-curricular activities on campus, you know, participate in Greek life or participate in intramural and, and things like that. So I think we will we will see you know, kind of those groups flesh out even more. Um, I, you know, 
I agree with Michelle that that we were going to have some students that that come back to face to face because they think it's better, you know, and and 15 years of of our work to prove that online is as good as face to face, you know, um, might have not been completely undone through the pandemic, but it was it was impacted, and so we kind of have to make those strides again. Um, but what I'm seeing from our students um, is the ones that um, really want that college experience, being on campus, being involved in things, they are the ones that that are really pushing to come back to face-to-face. Those students that um, are looking at education as a path to a job or career or this, um, you know, they are still wanting um, the fully online, or at least that's what I'm I'm getting from students. Um, I, I get calls from students all the time that said, well, I moved because of a job because of, of COVID, and I can't come back to Lubbock. What do you mean I can't take these classes online? I have for the last year. So that's starting a whole new conversation on, you know, those student expectations that um, they changed their lives and now, but they still want their education. So I think we're going to have to look through that kind of stuff um, and how we're going to give students that college experience that want it. Um, and also provide students the education when they just want, you know, to participate in classes and go about their their lives. My suspicion, and and uh, Alex, I'm interested in this, in your perspective on this, is that uh, you've both talked about how we we may see more people falling into those all or none camp. My biggest, I don't know if it's a concern, but is about the group in the middle that's going to expect they may even be living on campus <laughs> and trying to desire to participate in the elements that you talked about, Justin, but still wanting that flexibility. Um, and I'm, I have this sense that institutions may struggle most with serving the, the students who want it blended. Um, Alex, I don't know how that strikes you, but. I, I think it's a, a difficult uh, question to answer because there's no right answer or wrong answer. It depends on the institution, the, the and the students and what the students may want at a particular time. Uh, but I do believe that regardless of the flexibility that students might want, they also want structure. They want consistency. So they want to know going in, what is my class going to look like? How What's the delivery going to be like? Will I have contact with my instructor? Uh, will the textbooks be digital or will they be, you know, will I need physical copies? There's certain things that students want, but they also want the flexibility. So they want a little bit of everything, uh, but we also have to be practical and realistic in terms of, of being able to engage with students. So I, I think that there's a couple of things that may need to happen. Um, institutions, uh, partnering faculty, staff, instructional designers need to kind of rethink how instruction can be delivered. You know, I, I think we did a wonderful job during COVID uh, because we had a platform through which we could deliver instruction, but we also learned that you can't just cut and paste what you did face-to-face -face into a learning management system and say, all right, here's a link, let's go do it. Uh, you know, it takes it takes much more than that. Uh, even designing a hybrid course, you know, there's this finesse, uh, this nuancing that happens when you're designing the course that's super important. And, um, and it's about knowing how to present it so that students have a, a true understanding of what the expectation is when they register for that class. 
Michelle or Justin, do you have thoughts on the sort of challenge of hybrid and blended and whether that's likely to be the uh, the hardest, the, one of the hardest parts going forward, Justin? I think um, so, because one thing we, we saw, one of the more difficult ways to do a class was when you had some students in person and some students online. Um, and so that we got more complaints or concerns from students because they either felt like they were out on their own virtually or the in-class students felt that the virtual kids um, had it easier or something like that. Um, so I think that was probably one of the more difficult ones. And if we think about a hybrid moving forward, um, you know, what I've tried to tell faculty is, okay, let's look more at a flipped model where you don't have students in the classroom and online at the same time Maybe you have them all online and that's where they're watching lectures. But when we come into the classroom, that's where we're going to do some active engagement with each other. Um, and so having that that dual modality of classes, I think, was problematic. And so the, the hybrid approach, I think, um, in my opinion, that will work better would be closer to a flipped model or, or a high flux model where, you know, they're they're all in one and then the other so that um, you know, you're getting some, some access to, to both modalities to, to help students. Now that's going to be, you know, difficult for universities to, to think about, um, you know, how do we do that and, and making sure we don't overlap classes and, and things like that. But I think we can figure that out and, and allow for those, those multimodal classes to, to be successful. So that, so that would suggest that if you have, if you're an institution that serves students who are both in-person and remote and possibly fully remote that you maybe you have different sections of a course that are done in different ways rather than trying. I think you're, I, my sense just from listening to the atmosphere was what was, was that what you said is right, that, 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 that was the hardest part and that that was where the most complaints were from students and where I think a lot of faculty members felt most challenged in trying to, to serve both, both audiences. So, uh, Michelle, how about yeah. how about you? Well, I I, I love the um, some of the upsides and downsides and and the the real considerations that have been brought forward so far. I mean, it let I think it's just it will really be important going forward for especially leaders who are not physically carrying these things that that uh, just an Alex have described. They're not physically doing these things to really get concrete and remember what that is going to be like. I mean, I, I know with a, with a high flex model with, with, with uh, where students did have the option to be there remote, remote or in person, I didn't know walking into a classroom if I was going to have 10 students and I'm going to be worrying about distancing. I, I, sometimes I had one student and that was, that was pretty interesting to have. Okay. Here's, 40 people on uh, remote uh, online are going to work in this Google Doc, and you and I are going to have this small group discussion, or you might have two, and which two people is it going to be? Um, I, and you know, I'm I've been doing this a long time, and I I, I think and I've gotten some, some pretty good skills, and so for me, I can I felt like I could roll with that, but that is incredibly demanding. So I think kind of what's coming through here in, in imposing or coaxing along some predictability for the instructors and for the students is is the way to go forward especially if, if we are going to to continue incorporating some of these options and 
And we also don't know. I mean, let's also get really concrete and practical. And part of the reason why I didn't know what to expect with every single class meeting was because students uh, were frequently on two-week quarantines. I was on multiple two-week quarantines. And so sometimes I had to tell students, we're going to do this from my house. And I think we can all be hopeful that that will be the type of thing will be less of a consideration going forward. But of course, none of us know that either. So uh, there was a lot of praise and I think support for the sort of increased flexibility um, that institutions showed uh, uh, instructionally, particularly since that's where we're focused today. It sounds like all of you were saying to some extent that full full flexibility is not necessarily going to be very viable, that there's going to probably have to be an increased balancing of flexibility with predictability. Um, and so I'm curious, and I guess a justification for that would be that to some extent, people will be less in crisis and and maybe a little bit closer to normal but i continuing to feel like we're going to be a long way away from like truly normal so how how are you thinking about the balancing between flexibility and sort of empathy for students on the one hand rigor and predictability on the other recognizing that it's a, a balancing act alex maybe start with you I was uh, just going to say that I think the flexibility has to be manageable, otherwise you're going to have chaos. And a lot of the burden is going to fall on the faculty member um, when and they might feel like they're teaching three different courses in one because you know, there are students online, there are students that come into class, there are students that you know are strictly uh, asynchronous or or synchronous. And so I, I think it's going to also take the support of administration to do some creative uh, cross-listing of courses perhaps, and looking at staffing models whereby um, faculty can support one another when teaching these courses, because you also have to look at enrollment. What if you have one class that's uh, totally synchronous and only has 10 students, but you have a course that's under-enrolled and has like two students and you probably wouldn't run that section right but then you have to think about enrollment and you have another course that's high flex that has a little bit of everything and has more students you you know if the numbers add up perhaps you could combine it and have one faculty member cover it but if it's too many different modalities how how is that going to make sense, right? So I think we need to have a, a structure in place whereby the students' needs are met, but the platform will also support the delivery and the faculty are supported so that they do not feel like they're being stretched in you know, opposite directions for it to work. I completely agree. One thing um, that, that we had to do um, and, and that we've, we've actually continued is many of our classes um, we are listing um, more than one faculty member um, so that if if a faculty member is out for two weeks or sick or whatever through the pandemic, we, we had that. But um, we've also got a number of classes that faculty realized, you know, they could team teach um, certain things um, and really um, focus in on their strengths. Um, so if one faculty really excels in the online portion, they, they're taking some of that and, and that 
Now that is that's causing some headache with administration and you know faculty workloads. And okay, if I'm teaching four classes at only half time, or you know what what does that look like? So so having to rethink of that. Um, but I think those are some some options um, that that we're we're looking at um, to to give that flexibility, and then also kind of think about the faculty who are still very. Um, uh, apprehensive about coming back to teach full-time face-to-face um, because, you know, we, in my state, we, we can't, you know, require vaccines. Um, we can't require masks. So faculty are, you know, having to, to think about things um, like that in their classes and classroom management. Um, you know, the, so I think that that changes whatever the new normal is going to be because um, I, I think it would be, it, it's going to be years before we get back to pre-pandemic normal. Um, I, so I agree with you on, on that, Doug. Given where we are, what is your biggest question about what the fall is likely to look like educationally? What's most keeping you up at night about what's ahead? Alex, do you have thoughts on that? Um, I know we're going to be offering more courses um, back on campus, more face-to-face, but we will still have a very significant component of online and um, you know, and other instructional modalities. But I think a big Uh, focus is going to be on connecting students to support services and providing supplemental instructional services and uh, just raising the awareness of the service component, the support services, because that rounds everything out. We have uh, an early alert uh, system that uh, has been embraced and it's really about expanding our communication, our wraparound services. So it's not that a student is, there's outreach and there's tar- and they're targeted to, to go to a particular service, but it's about, you know, the, the, the student know, the, the student knows, the instructor knows, and then there's some follow-up. So, so what happened? You know, how did it go? I, I think that is very, very important because we, our, our student demographic is diverse. They all have different needs um, and different struggles uh, and, and by you know scaling that up and um, and raising awareness about where they can go and who they can contact and making it really easy, simplifying the process for them to access information. You know, the college has to become a concierge of sorts. The wraparound services is is something that that we're going to really need to to think about because you know as you mentioned um, with with Michelle, you know. There, there are some students coming out of high school now that are probably a little bit academically delayed because they've had, you know, two years of, of, of this now that we've got to work through that. We have worked with groups on campus to create new roles within our LMS to allow student tutors to have access into classes and content. So when, when a student um, enrolled in the class needs that extra help, they, they've got these, these uh, learning assistants or LAs um, to, uh, to go to more than just the teacher. So it, uh, increasing that support. Um, uh, like, like Alex, we have an early alert system and our students have actually pushed for more use of that. Um, they have um, advocated that faculty utilize that system more, that they make sure that that all classes have midterm grades and make sure this happens so that students are, are seeing, you know, I think part of that is we, students are seeing the need for some additional support when we return to whatever campus is going to be like in the fall so that they can, you know, make, make progression through their academic career. Um, we are looking at, at offering pretty much um, back to uh, the same full 
uh, or face-to-face -face load that we, we were offering pre-pandemic. Uh, same number of online classes, same number of hybrid classes. Um, but we also have, um, my campus has nine regional teaching sites around the state. And we've seen increases in the number of students that are looking at, at classes there because um, they want face-to-face, -face, they may want face-to-face, -face, they can't come back to Lubbock, so they're going to do it at, at one of our teaching sites um, in the in the fall. Um, and so I think um, the big the big area is how are we going to support students um, in what they need when they come back, um, where we're we're providing what they need, but it's not overwhelming, um, and it's it's just in time or real time support um, for for what they need. Phil, maybe last word. Right. Well, I, I mean, I have uh, some pretty down to earth concerns and questions about this fall. You, you mentioned what keeps me up at night. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's a little spot on as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for my institution because there are a lot of leadership decisions and efforts going on right now that I'm not a part of. But right now I would say that the working assumption that I'm picking up is that we will be a fully face-to-face, -face, um, that is where the activity is going to be. Um, and I kind of look at that and go, is that going to work? I, again, with the, the progress, which which is going to be very hard to predict as far as the pandemic, with students saying, well, why can't I? <laughs> yeah, why can't I go to my sister's wedding and, and uh, Zoom into class? I, and what is the atmosphere going to be like? None of us have been in these rooms and in this incredibly charged, for many reasons, atmosphere, uh, for many reasons, the atmosphere that we're going to have, what what will the mood of students be? Um, are we going to see that that collaborative spirit that and, and that resilience that we've celebrated in this podcast? Is that going to hold or are we going to really have a much more conflictual um, it, it sort of a sort of a feeling in that in the classroom. Um, I would also say that I'm also wondering, kind of in this bigger bigger picture, among my my faculty colleagues, are we going to also see them keeping up this emphasis on meeting student goals and what I really do think is a very positive change in mindset, but from I'm here to enforce standards and make sure nobody gets away with anything to what do you what do you guys want to get out of this? What's working? What's not? Are there different things that are working for different students? I mean, many of my faculty colleagues are essentially exploring UDL, um, uh, Universal Design for Learning. Are we going to see that continue? Like I, I, I got rid of all late work policies in my courses, something that I wanted to do for years. And this was a great impetus to do it. I'm going to keep that up. Are other people going to do that? Are we going to open up the syllabus from fall 2019 and, and run with it? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way to, to, those are great questions because I, I think what they sum up uh, is we saw a lot of not just flexibility, but also a lot of understanding and a lot of common sense of common purpose and I think the questions you just raised, and I think it's a lot of what's underpinned this whole discussion is how much of what, how much of the good things that we saw come out of the last year plus are we going to hold on to versus how much are we going to try to go back uh, to the old ways? And to the extent there's a mismatch there uh, between what students want and what 
institutions and uh, and instructors are inclined to do, there is the potential that the sort of uh, kumbaya moment that we had a lot of this past year, we may have a little bit less of, but um, we could go on for a lot longer, but we're going to have to wrap it up here. Really appreciate uh, all three of you, Justin Ladder, Michelle Miller, and Alexander Salas for taking time to join us. Thanks to Alex Salas of Delaware County Community College, Justin Lauder of Texas Tech University, and Michelle Miller of Northern Arizona University for their insights and assessments of what's ahead for the fall. I think you could hear in their answers a healthy dose of uncertainty and even doubt, which is appropriate for a moment that continues to find us in uncharted territory. A lot of college leaders are liberally sprinkling the word normal into their comments about the coming semester. And while the term is likely to look a lot more like fall 2019 than last fall did, there's a lot we still don't know and even more that we can't control. So as today's panelists suggested, institutions and instructors would be wise to build as much flexibility and agility into their planning as possible so that they can continue, as they largely did last year, to keep students on their educational paths no matter what surprises might be ahead. That's all for this episode of The Key. Thanks to Blackboard for its support and to all of you for giving us a little of your time. And a reminder that if you're enjoying these discussions, please subscribe to The Key on Apple or Google Podcast, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Until next week, I'm Doug Letterman of Inside Higher Ed. Stay well and stay safe.